I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Hey everyone, it's Arlen. Welcome back to your first million. What a what a great week it's been. It's been a just a busy week for the country and I'm still kind of recovering from the debates. <laughs> uh, everything that happened there, of course, the impeachment trial, all of that that is is always lingering and just very grateful to people like Rachel Maddow for keeping me informed and more than informed, just sort of grounded in understanding what's going on. I found that a lot of podcasts have been very helpful in making sure that I understand what's going on. So none of this is an ad. No one told me to to do this or asked me to do this, but I want to be helpful here. So I listened to a podcast called Article 2, Inside Impeachment. It's with that Steve Karnacki. I like his name because he reminds me of someone who would be called Steve Karnacki. And he just gives like a 20 minute synopsis of what's going on, what the hell is going on <laughs> and with the impeachment two or three times a week, sometimes more like this week, it was more. And it's just like super helpful. I also watch Maddow every day. Those are both MSNBC products. Again, they're not paying me to say this, but I will take their money if they like to. And then I kind of listen to Pod Save America because it's it's really they're really intelligent and funny and and I like that. But I can't listen to like the whole thing usually. Usually my my commute is a little shorter than that. And also I should say again, I am so excited about the two podcasts. One is called Dolly Parton's America, which I think should win some sort of major award. It's just every episode is it's beautiful and amazing, and I love it. And I'm going to be sad when it's over. And it's not what you probably think it is. Let's just leave it at that. So what I would suggest is listen to the pilot episode, the first episode that just came out a few weeks ago. Listen to the whole thing or at least give it 15 minutes because it's going to start out like you think it will start out and then it gets really deep and all of them are like that. So uh, that's cool. And then Office Ladies, I've just listened to every episode of Office Ladies and I've loved every episode. This week, speaking of podcasts, I have recorded so many podcast episodes for other people or with other people interviewing me. I feel so immersed in podcast land. I couldn't love it more. I hope to do this show, Your First Million, forever. I just, (laughs) this show, maybe I'll do more. Um, I just love it. So just wanted to say that. And like, it's been a tough week for everyone. So I maybe escape into audio is the point I'm making. And I want to thank everyone who interviewed me this week. I will reveal who those people are as the the episodes come out because I want to help them promote. And today, just couldn't be more thrilled to introduce you to Jamie Schmidt. I like saying her name. I think she's okay with me calling her Schmitty. I love it. 
so Jamie Schmidt, you may have heard of Schmidt's deodorants and other products. Like if you go to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or markets and all that, they're a multi-multi-million dollar company that started in Jamie's kitchen just a few years ago in Portland. And Jamie and her husband are investors in my fund, are actually in the studio portion of our fund, Backstage Studio, which is cool. Jamie came by the podcast room in Hollywood where I ha- where I am right now. The first thing you'll notice is that Jamie is just yelling and screaming the whole time. It is, it is, I had to calm her down. <laughs> uh, no, what's really going to happen is you're going to hear like the, the sweet dulcetones of someone who is very calm and caring and thoughtful and perfect for podcasts and audio. So we get to talk about how she went from building things in her kitchen uh, experimenting with ingredients and recipes, much like it reminded me a lot of Curl Mix. Curl Mix is a company, a hair product company that I've invested in through Backstage, who has just amazing growth. The story is paralleled and reminded me of each other. And so I encourage you to, to check out Schmidt's that's still in stores. What you'll find out is that they were acquired for an undisclosed amount of money, but she's on this episode. So it's it's in the millions, y'all. And then I also encourage you to check out Curl Mix because the stories remind me a lot of each other. You have a woman of color who is running Curl Mix and you have an ally in Jamie and uh, really excited about you all getting to know her because I think the way they've they've done this and I say they, Jamie and, and her husband, Chris, the way they've done this, which is like start a company. It blows up to their surprise. They sell it for a bunch more money. They have a ton of cash. And now they're thinking, okay, what do we do now? Like we're young, you know, or a young new family. What do we do now? And uh, the way they're using their money to reinvest is really interesting. So the only way you'll find out exactly how they're doing it, that is to listen to this episode. All right, y'all. Thank you as always for listening. Have a wonderful holiday if I don't get to talk to you before then. Have a wonderful holiday, however you celebrate that. I know many of you do not celebrate, specifically celebrate Thanksgiving because of uh, its roots. But I do hope that you have some time off to yourself and to your family to celebrate yourselves. And um, all right, I'm going to go before I before the soapbox gets any taller. Talk to you later. Bye. My name is Jamie Schmidt. I'm the founder of Schmidt's Naturals and co-owner of the media company Supermaker and the fund Color. What is Schmidt's? Schmidt's Naturals is a line of personal care products. Um, We're most known for our deodorant. They're formulas that I personally created in my kitchen and the brand was founded in 2010. Wow. So in your kitchen, we have stories like that in our portfolio and friends we know. And so it really was you just one day, I've always wondered, I really mm-hmm. have, you just one day go into your kitchen and say, I want something better than what's out there. I'm going to put these ingredients together. How do you really yeah, find the ingredients? Of it. I mean, there were a few factors that played in. One, I was pregnant. So I was paying closer attention to all the products I was using in my body. And deodorants just failed in terms of the natural ones. Um, They just weren't working well for me. And it wasn't an area I was willing to cut corners in, right? That's such a sensitive area of the body. I really was insisted on using something clean and healthy, but the brands on the market were failing me. So I decided to make my own. I also was just really 
inspired by this creative community in Portland. Um, everybody around me was making something and I really wanted to just kind of pursue my own passion and figure out what that meant to me. And I found it with, with deodorant. Yeah. Do you, did you, how did you think of the ingredients? I, you know, I did a little research on the basics around like what might work with odor control and wetness. Um, I had a lot of DIY books on other personal care products, but they really didn't have deodorant formulas. The extent of those were generally like you know, vinegar. Um, mm. And so for me, I wanted something that, um, you know, had a smooth texture um, that I could eventually put into a stick um, that smelled good and looked good. So I just messed around and, until I got it perfect. Was the intention f- for you to use it for yourself only or were you thinking about making products to sell? That's a great question. In the beginning, it was me, you know, in my family, and it was just fun. I really found pleasure in creating something with my hands. And in Portland, there's no shortage of opportunity to sell. So I was out at the farmer's market every weekend. There were a lot of street festivals around town. And, you know, even then when I first started selling, I didn't have this goal of starting a business. But once I saw the potential and got the feedback from customers, then it became clear. Yeah, I, I lived in Portland for a few months in 2013, and it is actually, and I said this was all love. It's mm-hmm. like a different planet. Yeah. And so what are there, how many, like, neighborhoods are there? Yeah, well, there's four quadrants, they call them. We have yeah, the but they're like with, dozens of, yeah, like. lots of little, you know, little neighborhoods. And yeah. I would imagine, so at first you thought this was going to be something you did on the weekends, that you sold because it was working for you. Right. You found the right ingredients. It's working for you. You would sell it. And make a little extra money and, and help some other people with the same problem. Right. Right? Yeah. How many tries did it take to get the right formula? Gosh, countless. Countless. Um, but it was great because when I was meeting with these customers at the farmer's market, I was able to talk to them face to face and get their feedback. So yeah. they would try the product, come back to me the next weekend and say, you know, this was working. Can we try to do this? And so it was just this really low pressure opportunity for me to use these customers as my focus group. Yeah. So that's interesting. I didn't think I understood that part that yeah. you took it out before it was perfected. Mm, I felt, you know, when I went to market, it was, it was good enough. I felt I felt really great about it. You know, it worked well, but I knew there was probably some improvements to be made um, yeah. and that everybody would have their own opinion on it. And so once I was getting consistent feedback, maybe if I heard the same feedback, you know, more than five, 10 times, then I thought, okay, this yeah. is something that I really need to implement. And how important is that for people who are thinking about starting a company or who have started one mm-hmm. and before they even go out looking for capital? I think it's capital? so huge. I mean, you have to find that sweet spot of like feeling confident enough in your product or your brand but also being allowed to like understand that there, it might not be 100% perfect. And maybe we don't even know what perfection means, right? Until we get it out in the community and we get that feedback. Because yeah. for me, I had my own idea of perfection. But then once I started talking to other customers, uh, okay, well, this is what a lot of other people want to see. And it sounds like you also can't be too precious about it and right. be, take it offense to someone telling you some yeah, constructive Yeah, that's so feedback. key because it's so personal to you that it's hard not to you know, take it personally, right? So you have to have an open mind and be really open to that feedback. So how long did it, how long did you do that before you were like, wait a minute, or did someone come to you and say, hey, we can put this in stores? Right. Yeah. So I was at the markets and I had retailers approaching me uh, and asking, you know, how do I get this in my stores? And that, that moment was when I realized, okay, like there's some serious business potential here and I'm going to go all in. Well, how long did that take before that started happening? Like like, I'm trying to get an idea of you started in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and then how many months from then did you go start? It was within a year. Within a year. Yeah. And I continued those markets. So even though I got the retail placements, I was still out in the community selling um, at those markets yeah. because it was such a great opportunity. Did you have a background in sales, marketing? I had an undergraduate degree in business, yes. which I think helped in some ways. But, you know, I do get asked a lot if I have a degree in chemistry, which I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a passion to, you know, create something. And that was enough to drive me. Are you an artist? 
Um, in some ways, yeah. You know, I don't think I'm like the best maybe drawer or painter, but but yeah. I have other artistic, um, yeah, yeah, abilities. I'd say that seems like it's coming from there. Yeah, That's I what... definitely have like a creative. I, you know what I have is an appreciation for art, um, an appreciation for branding, and I think all of that really played into the creation of Schmitz. Yeah, for sure. The branding, even today, which we'll get to, the branding that you all do at Color and mm-hmm. other things, um, really cool. Thanks. So. Were you surprised when people came up to you and said, we want to put this in stores? Was it like, what? I was. In fact, the first couple customers who even bought the deodorant surprised me, right? I thought, oh my gosh, someone just paid money for this thing I made. (laughs) I hope it serves them well. But yes, once the store started approaching me, I I realized, wow, this is really cool. And maybe it's not as hard as people might assume it would be to get into a store. Do you have a sense of how many bars or how many Mm -hmm. items you sold at that point? Yeah, you know, it varied uh, week by week, but my batch sizes were around 20 deodorants. Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe at a market, I might sell anywhere from 20 to 40, depending on how fast. Some of the markets, though, I got to admit, were really slow. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was a rainy day and nobody was coming out and I'd sell, you know, less than 10. And those were the moments that you thought, oh, what am I getting into here? And like, is this really sustainable? So it goes into stores. Mm -hmm. Did you start off slow there? Or was it like, hey, we need a thousand units? Once we started in stores, I mean, we were flying off the shelves. You know, mm-hmm. it, it really went very quickly from there. So I started in some of the local co-ops and more like independent stores and then made my way into grocery chains. So Portland has a couple of local ones called like New Seasons and um, of course Whole Foods was one. But then uh, you just started expanding from there. So we had the natural chains and then I was in more traditional grocery and then I made my way into stores like Target in Walmart. And the next thing you know, it's big box Costco. So all of it happened in like this really beautiful, you know, way Mm -hmm. that just was um, really intentional and just worked out well for the brand. So we'll talk a little bit more, dive deeper Mm -hmm. into that because that's a lot, Mm -hmm. because that's a big deal. That's that's the thing. Yeah. People are like, what? How did that happen? (laughs) But the name Mm -hmm. is your last name. What was the decision process there? Yeah. Oh gosh. Naming a brand or a company, as you probably know, is so hard. And I, I remember sitting around one night with some friends And I was asking them for help and everything I was coming up with just felt really cliche. Nothing felt really authentic to me. And so I realized, you know, people call me Schmidt. That's what I'm going to (laughs) Schmitty. I'm going to roll with it. And at first it was a little uncomfortable, kind of awkward. Uh, One, I think it just has this kind of funny sound to it, you know, Schmidt, (laughs) sort of harsh (laughs) and not the most sexy thing maybe. Um, But then as, um, you know, time went on with the business, I realized it's it's a name you can trust. It's a name that people recognize and will remember. And I have no regrets. And I love now that my name is on the brand. Wow. So it wasn't this conscious decision to have this legacy. Right. It was just... It made sense at the yes. time and it was working and then it really Right, worked. right. And now looking back, like, yes, it has become, you know, the legacy. Yeah. Do you think that the name helped sales? Like if mm. someone sees a last name, they kind of think, oh, it's already something. Right. right. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't thought about it that way, but I, I don't think it hurt. Yeah. It's it's a powerful, it's a strong name. It's a strong right? name. And yeah. I think, yeah, I think it kind of tells people that it's already there. Yeah. It's like you manifested it already. Yeah. It's interesting. It's okay. fun when people, sometimes people meet me though, and they'll be like, oh, Jamie, Jamie Schmidt. Oh, the Schmidt. The Schmidt. Schmidt. You know, yeah. <laughs> because what other products do you all do? Yeah. So we, the deodorant is what we're most known for. That was my first product. The signature one that was changing lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Flying after that, off the shelves. Yeah. Yes. So our customers started demanding more, you know, they were loving the deodorant and said, what else can you do for us? And I did have a moment of thinking we're a deodorant brand. That's all we are. That's what I want to do. And, but then I recognized, okay, our customers do want more. And so what can I do? So we extended it into soap. Uh, we copied our fragrances that we use in our deodorant. So we had these beautiful signature scents that our customers love. So mm-hmm. we put that into the soap. 
And then we also introduced body wash. We have toothpaste. And just recently we announced household, which is a whole new Mm. category for us. You know, I could use that because I Uh just had our place cleaned and it's such a strong, severe smell. It takes so long. Like right now, it takes so long. And I was just talking about this with someone who came in earlier because I was like, I'm sorry, it smells so strong. But you also want something that cleans. Right. So yours is like yes. really powerful, we but have it also these smells cleaning good. cleaning sprays that are okay. amazing and they smell wonderful. Well, then now I have to pick that yeah, up I because it. I, I have to you. check it out. <laughs> okay. So you're flying off the shelves. What is this? 2012 till? Yeah. yeah. Probably, gosh, 2012 up until, you know, 2017. Those five years were just incredible yeah. growth. And at any point were you like overwhelmed or freaking out about this? You know, like was, was there ever a hard time with this? It yeah, sounds pretty for sure. Okay. I mean, there were definitely moments. I know it sounds like this beautiful, easy going yeah. thing, but like there was a lot that happened along the way. And um, what's, a, what's an example of something that you were not expecting that was pretty tough? Yeah, I think just like I said yes to everything, which I still encourage people to do. But there were times when I got in over my head where I was like, shit, I have to make hundreds of thousands of deodorants to, you know, because I committed to this thing that I wasn't ready for. And so I think it's just saying yes, I, I still support that philosophy, but it's, you know, make sure you know that it's not going to be easy and that you, you really got to like hustle. Mm-hmm. And how many people were working for you now at this point? Mm-hmm. Like I, talk a little bit about yeah. how the behind the scenes was looking at this point. Sure. I, I hired my first employee in 2013. Actually, for me, it was 2012. But um, I had a couple of guys. One was um, working on production and then another in shipping. And then we had moved warehouses. So that once I started hiring and once the demand started rising, we were moving from warehouse to warehouse like crazy. So within four years, we had three warehouse moves, mm. which was substantial because you have this huge equipment, you have all this inventory, you have a bunch of employees that you're trying to move around. So once we, you know, I I mentioned I had those two employees and then from there just kept building, building, building out the team. And then fast forward a few years, we had about 150 employees working over two shifts because we had all our manufacturing in-house where a lot of personal care brands today will immediately outsource their manufacturing, right? I think in some ways that's a lot easier. You're not dealing with the operational nightmares of building up your manufacturing, and so for us, you know, I had to learn how to scale from my kitchen stovetop, I said 20 batches earlier, or 20 deodorants in a batch to, you know, batch sizes of 100,000 mm. and figuring out everything that goes along with that along the way. Yes. And nuts. you say we, who do you consider a co-founder? Um, when I say we, I mean the team. The team. Our whole team. So you had to kind of also figure out how to lead a team yeah. all at the same time, which is what all of us kind of go through, right. but we don't necessarily think about it. And it's like all happening at once. Yeah. I mean, Did you ever find into this leadership role, right? And yeah. as a founder, you become the CEO and then you're leading every operational aspect of the business. And when were you profitable? Like when did it yeah. start getting to the point where you're like... Right away. Right away. We were profitable right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Were you? Did you have uh, investors coming at you and wanting to be part of it, have a piece mm-hmm. of this? I, I had a few in the earlier years, and it wasn't something I was really that interested in because we were doing well. And um, my husband joined on um, pretty early in the business. And once he was on the team, he took over the digital marketing. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing because that money was put right back into the business. And so we had access to capital immediately. And so we just had this beautiful system that was flowing. And yeah. We and did people like Shark Tank or anybody reach out to no you? No one did, but people would ask me all the time, you should be, were you that dealer brand on Shark Tank or you guys should pitch Shark Tank? Or, yeah. Well, <laughs> what I'm getting at with this is mm-hmm. it seems like if someone had come in, like a lot of people listening mm-hmm. have ha- had trouble raising mm-hmm. or don't even know how to start raising. Right. I'm trying to really make sure people understand there's an alternative to raising money. You know, I talk about that a lot and I'm glad you brought it up because 
I think it's become so sexy and it's funny because you and I are both investors, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we also recognize that not every company needs investment. Yes. And I, I turned down, you know, companies would come to me and I'll say, are you sure you need this capital? Like, let's try just like bootstrapping and going as hard as you can. And maybe you just need to make the right strategic hire, right? Or yeah. maybe you need a consultant or whatever it is. And yes, there is another way. Yeah. And, I had a phone call today. I was like helping out a founder that we're not invested in because mm-hmm. for the same thing, I thought maybe there's another way to do this. Yeah. They're like, we have someone that we've asked to invest $150,000 into our company. Mm-hmm. Should we ask for more? And I said, you know what? Let's say you need 250 mm-hmm. quote unquote, need. Instead of asking that person to go in even further, try to figure out how to make 150 if they're saying yes to that, how to make that feel like 250 Right. Like they're put things back into your power and your uh what is locus of control yeah yes. that's great advice this is one of those stories because mm-hmm. if because what we'll find out very soon is that you were able to kind of turn this into a big payday for yourself mm-hmm. and you would have had to share that if you had right. gone a different route so yeah. let's let's talk about it you're you're in it it's 2017 mm-hmm. what are you thinking is going to happen in yeah. the next 10 years so i did i did take on a partner um mm-hmm. in 2015 um and gave up a pretty notable amount of equity yeah was that. it what was it what kind of partner was it so he came in uh, with a very small investment, okay. uh, but the partnership was um, presented more as a working partnership where he might help with um, like responsibilities. Yeah. So in 2017, because that was in 2015, 2017, did you think, hey, we're just going to do this for the rest of our lives? Or did you think, oh, I'd like to sell now? Yeah, it's <laughs> funny. I never I never looked that far ahead. And I can say that throughout the entire growth of the business. Right. And I wasn't even thinking about selling. You know, in 2017, that was a big year for us. So that's when Schmitz was in Target. We were in Walmart. We were in Costco. So we were really up against, you know, the serious players in the industry. So think about the big names in deodorant, right? Like Dove Secret, whomever. And we were competing, you know, head to head. And so with that, we caught the attention of some of these bigger consumer packaged goods companies, right? Like Unilever. And they noticed, you know, they Mm. noticed that their sales were being impacted and they wanted to play in that natural space and they didn't have any natural brands. So once they reached out to us and I understood that there was the potential to sell my company, that's when I started taking it seriously and thought, you know what, there's um, a lot of benefit to a potential partnership. I think that could really take our brand to the next level. This episode is brought to you by me, Arlen, the host. And I'm going to use this time to promote my book. It's about damn time, which is now available in pre-order. It comes out May 5th, 2020. You can order it now at prh.com slash it's about damn time. Thanks. Can you say if you were making millions already, was the company making millions already yeah, at this point? Yeah, um, when we sold the company, our revenue was around uh, $25 million. We were growing around 400% year by year. Mm, okay, so... Mm. That's incredible. Thanks. Did you have more than one uh, buyer? Like people like we sniffing did. around? Yeah, once. Um, so did I get there with the sniffing around? There were all, like a lot that? of sniffers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, had, uh, we had Goldman Sachs who was brokering the deal for us. So they were working with several companies that were interested. And so once we started that diligence process with Unilever, then there were other companies interested too. So we were hustling like crazy to get through this diligence yeah. for multiple people. How long did it take from the time you realized people were paying attention to mm-hmm. the time the deal was done? It went pretty fast. We 
started to get interest in probably around spring 2017. And then the deal with Unilever closed in December of 2017. Yeah. You know, I think about Tristan Walker, who talks about Walker and Co. and P&G yeah. and how they started getting interest around the summer. And by the end of the year, it was done deal. Right. And it happened really fast. And it wasn't anything he was thinking would happen. Yeah. Once you start to realize this really could happen, it really sounds like it is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Are you starting to like plan out your children's and your children's children's future as far as <laughs> I have all sorts of things going through my head. I mean, so many emotions, right? One, a little bit of like sadness and apprehension because this brand had been a part of me for so long. You know, it was such an intimate part of who I was. You know, my name's on it. I had built it from my kitchen. I started it when I was pregnant, just all these things. Um, and so I had to figure out for myself if this was something I really was willing to to let go of. And then when I realized, you know, the the future of the brand in somebody like Unilever's hands, there, there was a clear path to, to more and more success. Yeah. And I wanted it for my customers. I wanted it for the Schmidt's employees and the Schmidt's brand and just the legacy. And, and it made sense. And so I felt really good about it. But once I saw that opportunity ahead of me, you know, then my mind was like obsessing over it, right? Because like, wow, this is on the table. Like, what if something goes wrong? And so then it's just maintaining this like frame of mind that's like open to options, right? Yes. Because you don't know if it's going to go through. I mean, I've seen so many deals fall apart at the end. So to you before and hopefully after, was this like the right move, do you think? It was. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm in a beautiful place right now in my life. You know, I'm still connected to the brand. And they're doing really well. And Unilever has proven to be a good partner. Of course, there were some adjustments along the way. For, yeah. um, they move slower than, you know, a startup culture does and things like that. But they're on the track to continue innovating and, and everything's mm-hmm. been good. And then for me personally, you know, in addition to staying connected to Schmitz, I've had the opportunity to start some other things Yeah, as well. that's, what, that's what I want to talk yeah. about now. I heard three things mm-hmm. in your bio at the top of this. So let's talk about both of them. You said color mm-hmm. and super maker. Yep. What is what? What are both of those? Yeah, so Color is an investment fund that I started with my husband Chris. Chris was um, a key part of Schmitz as well. He was our executive in marketing and communications, and so together the two of us had acquired a wealth of knowledge um, and experience that we were excited to share with the next generation of entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. through Color, uh, we're able to do that. And our focus is on underrepresented founders, so primarily women and people of color. And, yeah, let's talk about that. F- yeah. talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. So. How many investments have you made and what size investments uh, date, do you tend to around make? Around probably 12. And they're all different sizes. We've done some pre-seed. We've done some uh, later stage. Later stage. Yeah. yeah. So it just depends on where the company's yeah. at, how we think we can have the best impact. Now, I'm going to um, blow everybody's mind right okay. now and say, you're, uh-huh. you're a Caucasian lady. Right? <laughs> I am. What made you decide this is what I'm going to do as a thesis for my right. fund? And I, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be heartstrings, but yeah. what was that thought process? We just recognized that the greatest need was there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a woman, I experienced, you know, a lot of what other women are trying to experience when it's growing their businesses to having a male partner, seeing the way that women are perceived in uh, business. It must have been being, his company. You walk in and you're not you're not the first one greeted. Yeah. And just little things like, you know, even throughout the acquisition, I remember one meeting where one of the uh, a man asked me like, oh, how are you feeling about this? You know, what? how's your emotional state kind of thing? Uh-huh. And then, you know, going on to the next guy, like, all right, let's talk numbers. And, oh, and it's just like, geez, you know, yeah. and so and I... And I felt that in my bones just yeah, now. Really. I felt that. <laughs> I yes. saw you shivering over there. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I there's so many women starting businesses today, and we are making major waves, and I want to be a part of that through color, and it's so exciting. Yeah. Um, so so it, we, was it also a business uh, decision? Like, 
or was it in it's it was yeah. mostly impact for you? I think it's mostly impact. I mean, we I'm in a I'm happy to say I'm in a very comfortable place in my life and in terms of business moves, they aren't crucial for my success. Mm. Of course, they're they're wonderful and I'm not going to turn away an opportunity a beautiful opportunity, but um it, for Chris and I it is more about impact and how we can make change. And alongside color, we also have Supermaker with a similar goal, and that's our media company. And through Supermaker, uh, we tell stories of other entrepreneurs up and coming and people that need to have their stories told. And do it beautifully. Thanks. Like it's a really, really great aesthetic. And just very recently, Mm -hmm. you announced a book. Tell me about that because that looks really, the cover looks awesome. What is the book about? So that's another project I've been deep into for over the last year. I was really inspired to write this book because one, I had a lot of people coming to me after the Schmidt's acquisition, asking for advice, wondering if there's a way I could help them in their businesses. And I thought if there's just some place I can put all this information, mm-hmm. you know, that people can take away in this kind of all wrapped up into a, <laughs> a nice, beautiful book. And so, yes, I launched um, Supermaker. It's called Crafting Business on Your Own Terms. And it's all about my journey of building the Schmidt's brand. And um, it has a lot of takeaway lessons in there, too. So business advice that other entrepreneurs and creatives can use. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of people think, well, you're an investor, so that's the, that's the play. But you are going to invest in a handful of companies, yeah. but you can reach thousands with right. the book. That That's the thing. And I remember feeling a little overwhelmed when I first, you know, sold Schmitz and seeing my inbox full of inquiries from people and like, how can I help so many people? Because you can't, you, you can probably relate to this. And Oh, yes. Um, you know, oh, it's yes. like, does that mean holding office hours? Does that mean flying all around for coffee dates? Like what, you know, what can I do? And I think it, with these pages of Supermaker, it's going to be a really valuable resource for people. Yeah. This podcast is a very answer to that. This is how I kind of manage the thousands of emails that I get on a weekly basis. Yeah. And then the book, It's About Damn Time, that's coming out in May 2020. When does your book come out? What date? Uh, April 2020. And it's in pre-order right now, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Okay. So please, you, Arlen, you know the importance of pre-orders. I, the pre- I heard so you preaching about it. Pre-orders, because <laughs> yes. I didn't know this before. Yeah. But every pre-order, as long as it kind of makes it onto the radar, mm-hmm. is counted towards your first week of sales. Right. It's not just for you to have this sort of like uh, aesthetic of being on some list. It's also because it then tells your publisher that maybe they should have another book come out Mm -hmm. from you. And it just helps kick off your career as an author. Right. And secure space on shelves. Yeah. And it tells it tells indie and larger companies that they need to order more books for you so that mm-hmm. it doesn't run out and the more people kind of stumble across your book, the better. Yeah. It's a lot of a lot of things that have to do with it. So right. the people who kind of support you today before the book comes out, it's just like a really important piece of it. Right. Yeah. yeah thanks for that. So it's exciting to to know that you're doing that. Uh, do you spend kind of the same amount of time on both or are you doing one more than the other? Uh, it's a healthy balance. You know, the book took a lot of time over the last year and digging deep into the last 10 years of my life and Reliving all that, going through old emails and yeah. <laughs> fact checking things, and I mean, I can't. So I'm going to say something, but I, I'm going to see, look in your eyes, and see if I'm hitting on something. Uh, I can't believe this isn't already like been optioned for a TV show. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> no, it would make a good TV show, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the yeah. Portland part, the making it in your kitchen, yeah. the growing it. I think it could be. You don't. You don't want to. I mean, I'm sure you should talk to Sophia at uh, at Nasty Gal and and Girl Boss to see if she if you if she enjoyed that experience. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I could definitely see it being being something. Yeah, c- cool. it's a good story, and I think it's one that a lot of people relate to. Yeah. Right. It's that story of like having a product or a business idea that you're passionate about. 
and just going for it and growing it from really nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any kind of um, advice you have for people that, you, you know, you hear a lot of people mm-hmm. asking you for advice, anything that someone's on their commute right now mm-hmm. that you know that you can help them with? Maybe yeah. a nugget from your book or something. Yeah. Like you know, one thing I've been thinking about a lot is it's okay to, to shift gears. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs get hung up in this idea of, okay, I've invested all this time into this or a lot of money and I, I can't back out now, even though I can see it's not quite working the right way. I think it's, it's okay you, to acknowledge it. And even if your heart's not in it, don't do it. You yeah. know, it's just, just accept the loss and move on to the next thing or, you know, tweak it how, it, how you need to, to make it what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I think yeah. that's great advice. Yeah, and it's it's like a relationship. Sometimes mm-hmm, you stay yeah. too long. True. And sometimes, but you if you think about the experience that you had and take that as worth the investment, then it can mean a right. lot. That's yeah. another piece of advice I give actually is to find value in every experience, right? Maybe you're stuck in a job that you're not loving, but there's something there that you can use, mm-hmm. you know, to your benefit in your mm-hmm. next move. Speaking of benefit, does mm-hmm. it benefit? I'm just curious about this. Mm-hmm. Does it benefit you if people buy Schmitz today, or is it just a cool? It's just cool that they still are. There's some there's some incentives attached, mm-hmm. um, you know, as an earn out. Okay, so I, do you want? Is there a certain product you want people to go mm-hmm. check out right now? If they're just hearing about you for the yeah. first time, where do they go? You know, my heart will always be with the deodorant. Okay, um, if they go to you know Schmitz.com, they can see all the different options there. How do you spell that? Um, it's S-C-H-M-I-D-T-S.com. And most of those fragrances and formulas, uh, all the formulas, I, I created with my own two hands. And so they're all still very personal to me and um, an extension of, of who I am. That's incredible. Yeah. I hope everyone checks it out. Thanks. Just go buy one for you or your friend. Check it out. I'm going to get the cleaning product because on it. Yeah, there's some, Love it. I'll, I'll recommend my favorite scents to you. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for I coming. Enjoyed it. All right. Bye. Hey, podcast listeners. I'm doing a little experiment, as you may have seen online recently. I want to incentivize you to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts and also give you a little gift for doing so, for taking the time out. I want you to leave an authentic review for your first million on Apple Podcasts. And when you do so, send me a message. You can DM me on Instagram. Arlen was here. A-R-L-A-N was here on Instagram. You can reach out to me by email or you can DM me on Twitter. Same handle. Arlen was here. Let me know your t-shirt size, your mailing address, and your full name. And let me know that you filled out a review for your first million on Apple. Right now it's for Apple only. And once you do that, we'll take your information down and we'll get a shirt out to you over the next few days. All right, everybody looking forward to seeing you in those shirts hey it's arlen thanks for listening to this episode so i would love to keep up with you online you can find me at arlen was here on instagram and on twitter that's a-r-l-a-n was here i cannot wait to continue this conversation with you you can also pre-order my first book. It's called It's About Damn Time. You can pre-order it at your local indie bookstore. Please do that. Feel free. And online where books are sold, where, where, where great books are sold. If you want to go to a specific link, you can go to prh.com slash it's about damn time. All together. No no spaces, no slashes, nothing. So prh.com slash it's about damn time and it'll give you a list of places you can pre-order the book and 
pre-ordering is huge. The more pre-orders the bookstores see, the more copies they will order and potentially more copies that will get sold and exposed and seen. If you're thinking about getting the book, but you're going to wait until after it comes out, I encourage you to pre-order it. May 5th, 2020 is the actual date. So you have plenty of time to grab it, but try to do it between now and then. If you're interested in advertising on your first million, go to yfmpodcast.com and click on contact. You can have yours truly read your ad, which is, I know, lovely, or you can send me your own ad. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time.